0: Three, two, one. Friend. Shrimp! Everybody, welcome to episode two of the Tiger Shrimp Podcast. I am joined by my co-host PJ Beckel. PJ, how you doing this oh, evening? Great!
1: It's hot here, really. Ah, yeah, real hot. Breaking records, breaking records.
0: Yeah, ninety degrees today. We're in the third week of May, two thousand and twenty. Obviously, 90? 90, 90 degrees. 90 degrees. Yeah, totally wow. insane. It's gonna be. It's gonna drop back down to like 65 in a couple of days. So I'm not that scared of this thing. But um, yeah. So the the one first episode went good. Got some good reviews. PJ, the one thing I, I heard a lot, which I want to address right now, is that there... PJ needs to ch- chime in a little more. You know what I mean? Like, what kind of co-host? Yeah, no, what is he distracted? What, what was he doing? You know?
1: And, it was a rough go there for me. My house was crumbling.
0: Literally. Yeah, yeah. There was some stuff going on. The kids, Jess, giving you giving you some heat. Things going in the backyard. Side Stop eye. What do you mean? You're recording yeah. a what? So uh, we're gonna oh, <laughs> we're gonna make imagine. sure we get
2: you in the mix. That's on me too. You need to watch some vintage Ed McMahon clips before you.
0: Do this again. Yeah, yeah. I
1: guess that's,
0: yeah. We're all learning. We're all yeah, learning.
1: Andy, Andy Richter, is
0: that his name? Yeah. Um, he's he's, he's great. Yeah. So is Ed McMahon. Definitely. Ah. Uh, yeah, but Andy Richter, I don't feel, does very much either, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just collects a paycheck and just, like, drops in a, you know, a couple little trends. We want you to be more than Andy Richter, okay? That's our <sighs> goal. Um, today, we have... Our second guest ever uh, is my cousin, my good friend, PJ's good friend, Timothy James Allen. How you doing, Timmy? I'm good. How are you? As good as one might be during this uh, difficult time. Where are you right now? I'm currently
2: in Brooklyn, New York, in uh, in Bushwick. Yeah. Yeah. Right uh Where in Bushwick? Right near the old Myrtle Broadway stop, if you know where that is. I
0: do. Can you hear the train from there?
2: Mm-hmm. I'm close to the end. Mm. Currently.
0: Yeah. I wanna start Tim the Tim uh, story, uh, the story, the tiger shrimp story. Back back some years back when I when I first met you, or the first time I ever saw you, it was also the first time I ever heard you play guitar. I don't know if this memory rings a bell for you. It's very, it's very strong memory for me. If I just say that, do you know what I'm talking about?
2: No, not on top of my head.
0: Not I on the top of your head. Like the, when I say the first time I ever saw you play guitar, I ever like you know met you at all. Mike's birthday party. Mike's backyard party, maybe. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> do you remember much about that, or why that might stand out, maybe to me a little bit, or? <laughs> 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 uh, uh, no, you go first Okay, okay I'll go first I had never heard some of my friends You, I, I didn't know who you were But, you know, PJ was in the band And, and, and MeWe and, and other people But I remember partying pretty good With some buddies And driving around Maybe potentially smoking blunts Or, or something, you know Right before walking into this place Coming in the backyard And hearing uh I want to say you were playing a Medesky and Schofield, a Medesky and Schofield song. You're we
1: playing the Boozer, and
0: you were clearly, you were obviously playing the Schofield part. I walked in and was just like, "Damn!" and I started dancing, and I I, pr- I was hooting and hollering, and I know that I know that it it I heard later that it came across as obnoxious,
1: a, a heckle more uh, or less. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I heard that you, Tim, were like, "Who the fuck is that guy?" <laughs> <laughs> I and don't really remember <laughs> it. Yeah, okay. You so know. it does, so okay, that I makes don't. that sounds yeah, I like like you said, like it doesn't for you it was just a random kid at a party. For me it was like whoa, what is this? And I st- don't yeah, I don't
2: really remember it like that clear.
0: Sure personally. So at this point, okay, we don't know that in reality, my father and your father are first cousins. And I've heard about I've heard about you for many many years, <laughs> you know, as as Tim, you know, Jimmy's son Tim, you know. I'm just always hearing these stories. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And the way I think it went down kind of was, is that our dads maybe traded war stories a bit. Is how I think about it, like talking about their sons to each other. And I want to say that you were winning most of those war stories, as far as who was. <laughs> More, oh, more, more of like a more, just like, yeah. just like, oh shit! You should hear what my son did. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? More. That kind of a thing. So I'd always heard of you, and I was just didn't expect that you would suddenly show up in my friend group.
1: I, I just remember that night after that show. I, I, I remember this. My memory of this was Tim's. Like, who was that fucking guy <laughs> heckling us? I go, that's my friend Mike Allen. He's like, I think that's my cousin.
0: Oh, okay. So Tim already knew. I think like, that's
1: my fucking cousin. <laughs> That pricks my cousin. But fuck. whatever. Yeah. You are a prick. You are a prick.
0: Um, Yeah, but, you know, I was... I, I <laughs> Honestly, I might have looked like a jerk, but... To me,
1: that's a classic moment. Like, that I'm was...
0: Like, oh, that's but I was <laughs> so... I guess so, yeah. I was so honestly Excited. impressed. I was just like, holy shit, that I could not even hold it in. I mean, there was some, you know, that's modifications that's to my attitude at the moment, but... I mean, I'd heard the boys play before, but I think the addition to you and the fact that there was like this fucking jazz guitar, you know, ripping, you had the tone fucking dialed too. It was like, man, that Schofield tone don't just, you know, I don't know. There's probably like a, oh, you just turn, the, just turn the chorus up to six, and, you know, there's probably a Schofield setting, maybe. Maybe there's not.
2: Did I tell you when I met him, like, two years ago?
0: No. What happened?
2: Yeah, it was kind of it, it's it's you know it's not like a not 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 like a major story, but it was kind of humorous because it was when we were on jam cruise, or, uh-huh. and you know when you're on jam cruise, you're like kind of you're just you're captive, you know whether, whatever like you know, <laughs> sure like some people really want to be there, some of the musicians maybe are like you know maybe not don't want to be there the whole time, but like Schofield, you could tell, he was like loosening up at the moment. And I went up to him, and I was like... And and he played that record that night. MMW and Schofield were there, and they played a go-go. Wow. That record that we all really liked, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, and it was really great. And and I went up to him to say, hey, I really enjoyed seeing that live. I haven't seen you guys play that live in 20 years. Like, I love that one. It was kind of, you know, an inspirational one for me when I was, you know, in college or whatever. And it was funny, because at first, like his initial reaction was to kind of be like, ah, all right. Like kind of like, <laughs> and then you could tell he had this moment where he was like, wait, it's like three in the morning. I'm on a cruise ship. Like, and and then he was like, who'd you say you play with again? And I told him and then he was like, oh man, that's cool. And then we started chatting and I had like a moment with him, but you know, there was a moment where you could tell he was like, all right, man. And then like, yeah. he kind of came to and he was like,
1: or he looked around right. he's like there's no way gonna... for me
2: to go <laughs> well that too it's kind of funny because we were just like you know in a cruise ship bar listening to somebody else like you know jam at 3 in the morning it's I'm, like, tra-
0: I'm trapped parano. this could be awkward or I can just just chat to the bloke and then he ended up like kind of
2: joining our group of people and we were <laughs> like alright see you later John
0: <laughs> alright John you know? we've had enough of your stories John cool um, he's a nice guy though
2: he's, a, he's he, I mean he's Still, still sounds amazing. Still got, still got it. 100%. Sure. Uh,
0: so let's 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 spend a little more time back there in our influences, influence years. Um, mm-hmm. What, when? I mean, we don't have to get real deep into it, but did you take guitar lessons as a kid? When did you start playing, and like when did it, you know, start to get going? Yeah, I took some lessons, and uh,
2: also just spent a lot of time learning records I liked in my room when i was a teenager and i think that that those two things like i never played music in school or anything until college so it was definitely a lot of just being hold up by myself and practicing alone but just playing to records that i liked really you know that gets you somewhat engaged enough so then when i met finally met people in a band i was able to kind of keep up a little bit at least and then you know you just go from there
0: did you but, start, yeah well how, was, how old were you when you started like in, in high school or uh, no earlier than that I probably started okay. playing that when I was like I don't know like eight or nine or something like that oh okay so there was a, and okay. then
2: and then but on and off like you know wasn't didn't didn't like take to it super fast I mean <clears throat> did the traditional kind of style of guitar lessons for a couple of years and then didn't do it for a couple of years and then got like as a teenager got a different teacher and you know he kind of taught me more like practical stuff and then, uh, you know, and and also just kind of how to figure things out by ear. Yeah. And then you know, but it was it was a lot of just like oh, if if you show me this thing, you know, I can go practice at home and figure it out. So. Did
0: you start playing classical guitar as a young guy? Or no, did that I come just started later? doing that in
2: college because. Oh, that was in college. Okay. Yeah, they just they they basically said, you know, I took I did like the. The the stereotypical uh, jazz performance, um, which is kind of like a fake degree, almost, that seems like. I mean, I know other people who have it too. Not saying it's fake, but I'm just saying, as a degree, jazz performance, like that doesn't even make sense. Like, what qualifications do you need to perform jazz that you can learn in college, other than being like boiling ramen noodles, I guess? I'm not sure. But, you know, I still, I, you know, I learned a lot in school, and it's cool. I didn't finish
0: it. I just moved to New York. So before that, you said you started playing because you just wanted to learn like guitar parts and shit. Like, what were some of the like, what were the bands we were listening to at that time?
2: Uh, you know, um, a lot of the the big ones for you know the '60s and '70s, of course, Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin, and you know, Frank Zappa and uh Jane's Addiction and yeah I'm trying to think like I'm probably gonna leave out you know all these big people but you know Red all, hot chili all, peppers. Of the, all of all of yeah the chili peppers like uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic is a big was a big record that came okay. out when I was like like maybe 10 or something and I like definitely learned all the parts on that those are interesting
0: parts, too. Yeah, were, and now peppers.
2: looking back on them, I'm like, that's, wow. That record. Every, I mean, everybody of our age group knows that record is just, I mean, it's just a good one to go back to.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It actually has aged pretty well.
0: Yeah. Um, so at what point did you get into, like, you know, deeper shit, I guess? Like, because, you know, if you started with the usual suspects in high school
2: yeah and 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 well like you know what's interesting is like of course like you know you start listening to the grateful dead and then you know a couple things follow that that leads you to like um experimental music improvisational music jazz in general like it gets you kind of an op- more opens your mind to listen to just different textures of music and uh and just kind of like just a broader scope than, you know, what you hear on the classic rock radio. And then that and then, you know, pretty early on I was I got far away from that, you know what I mean? But, you know, my first 6 or 7 years of probably from like age like 9 or 8 or 9 I was listening to classic rock until probably like 14 or 15 all of a sudden it was I wanted to listen to all the Miles Davis albums and all the, you know, all the Bob Marley records and, you know, I'm trying to even think.
1: In, of like in a that. silent way, right?
2: Right. Like in a silent way has been no. probably my favorite album since I was 16.
1: Right. I remember okay, between, yeah, that okay. and,
2: between that and like, uh, you know, uh, either like Opposite People or Open and Close or one of those Fela records, like listen to those thousands
0: of times. You so know? you were listening to Fela in high school? I had
2: found... Fela Kuti when I was about 15 and just didn't didn't look back yeah who led you there? my cousin had some Fela CDs in his apartment and I was like ooh I've heard of this guy actually I heard Flea talk about him on an interview and the interviewer Tom Calderone who was like big radio personality back in the early 90s asked me he was like who do you listen to and Flea's like I listen to Fela Kuti and blah 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 I remember it kind of stuck in my head when I was a kid and I you know you know, didn't know about it until probably, like, maybe 15 or 16. And then I found some phalacetes. I was like, oh, I heard about this. And my cousin's like, yeah, take that. That's really good. And then it was just, you know, running from there, basically.
0: Yeah, and that um, obviously came full circle later in life, uh, which, you know, we can hop ahead a little bit. I mean, you alluded earlier to you studied classical guitar and jazz uh, in college for a few years, and then took off to New York to start gigging and with your band. And um, once you were there, uh, things things start to happen. When is when does like what's like kind of the the game changing moments that happen in, in New York? Um, or like what was it like early in New York? My first couple of years here were like I had a bunch of
2: funny jobs like now that i look back on them i can like it's really like a really amazing smattering of 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 stuff that happened over the course of like four or five years and you know before i was like really i mean we were always gigging like me and bj were playing like every weekend for the first couple of years here for sure Mm -hmm. and even during the weeks we would play like two or three gigs every week but it was just like the goal was really actually just to cover ground and just like play everywhere and what's really amazing is I was thinking about it the other day. it was like, like we spent so much time the first couple of years, like, like putting flyers up <laughs> and like going around to like places and putting flyers or posters up, or like, you know, just like things that were physical things. That, and you know, I had a, a bunch of jobs. I was, you know, I was a bartender. I was like. I I worked for an aquarium company for three years and, like, you know, I drove trucks around. I was, you know, I had, you know, various production gigs where I would pack up lighting rigs or sound rigs and drive them around. You know, all the kind of typical stuff that, like, you know, artist people do when they come to New York. And then, um, uh, yeah, and then gigging all the time, too. But we were always just trying to play... We we're just trying to cover ground and like play every venue in new york so you know williamsburg and the lower east side and downtown manhattan and even up to like 14th street or 23rd street was fair game anything up to there we would play but not too much stuff above that of course but like pretty much anywhere in brooklyn or queens and any long island city point. i mean yeah even long island city we would end up playing some gigs there but i was trying to think the other day it's like we really hit a lot of venues. Most of them aren't there anymore, you know? But, like, we really did play a lot of venues those first couple of years, which is, I, f- I feel like, the best, some of the best memories of just thinking back and be like, oh, yeah, remember that place?
0: Was Zebulon during that time?
2: Yeah, Zebulon was, Zebulon opened right before we got there, like the year before we moved. And then, so that, we were just there all the time in those days. Yeah,
0: I re- Zebulon sticks out as, like, the one of the main jams um. yeah my favorite
2: like like in the first year we got there when me we played with butch morris he got selected like kenny Wallace and got him in the butch morris band and then the guitar player in the butch morris band quit on the bandstand on the second night and i was just standing there and i had been at every show they were doing two shows a day and so this was like the fourth or fifth show and literally i was just and this is when i worked at creighton barrel i was like a stock boy at Crate and Barrel, like. I had a Mohawk at the time <laughs> and the Mohawk actually got me into the band because Mewie's like this is my friend he could play guitar and Bush Morris was like you're hired right done." and I got to play the entire like next week of shows with Bush Morris he was like yeah it's cool you play acoustic guitar yeah you got a cool haircut you're in and I literally got like <laughs> that was the first time I got to play a Zebulon it,
0: it was back then yeah oh I don't remember Mohawk too
2: yeah it was before you even moved here yeah it was yeah. like I do. A little, uh, little 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 mo- little moment a little moment
0: all right so when did the first big old reel let's call it just I don't want I don't want to like discount anything you guys did um, because those were important years and obviously led you to things where you met lots of people and shit. But what comes to mind, like the first kind of breakthrough into that next level?
2: Uh, A quick tree for me was when I met Michael Lenhart initially, I started subbing in his band in probably like 2009. And then he recommended me to play on the Phelan musical on Broadway and I played on that as a sub a bunch. And you know, I knew a lot of those guys anyway, but that went well. And then Stuart Bogey, who was playing tenor on the show, uh, invited me to sub in Antibalas, like in uh, because Luke couldn't do a tour in 2010. So then I, I did a tour with them. And then the next year, similarly, I think I subbed a couple times for him and, And then in 2012, yeah, for the first couple of years, for me, I played with Ballas on and off, subbing for Luke. And then meeting a lot of the people in that group of people, it led me to meeting Jeremiah Lockwood. And then he invited me to start playing in the Sway Machinery, sometimes replacing Nick Hill on bass, and sometimes playing second guitar. And that was the first time I ever really traveled outside the US for music. And we went to like Poland and Israel and couple really cool interesting places that I actually haven't been back to since and then after that maybe a couple like a year or two after that then the guy who I was subbing for in Antibalas decided uh, he had he has a family and he had been in the band for like well, since the beginning for like 15 years and so he decided he was gonna kind of pass the chair on to me and so I started doing that full-time and was and you know have been touring with them a lot
0: so I mean how does it feel when you know, you go from being a fifteen year old kid listening to Fela Records for the first time to like fast forward, you know, ten years and you're playing Fela songs on Broadway. Like
2: because I had actually steeped in the music for a really long time, I actually kinda knew the stuff really well already. And so I didn't have to try and learn all of the music. I just needed to learn how the show went. And that was a big help. So when I got to do the show, I already had a leg up because the songs were not new to me at all. I just needed to learn the way the show came together. And it was, you know, a really awesome experience. One of some of my favorite musical experiences, definitely, playing with that show and playing with all those amazing cast members and musicians. And, you know, it's definitely like a little bit of a test where, like, can you, can you, kind of jump into it because you don't really get a chance to like rehearse with them or anything if you're a sub you just kind of got to do it and uh you know they let you come and watch the show a bunch of times in the basement and then you just got to kind of jump in so luckily i had a couple opportunities to do that and then when that show toured later on i actually switched instruments and toured with it and uh that was really fun too really uh extremely (laughs) rewarding experience to play that music with that group of people, you know?
0: And is it sort of a similar thing with uh, Anabolus where you knew their music? You were, you, you were a fan of theirs before you, before that too, or no?
2: Oh yeah, definitely. It was really interesting because me and PJ, PJ was in the car. I remember when we found out that our friend Eric Biondo, who we really didn't know that well yet, but like, we did know him a little bit. He already, had started playing with auntie boss and i was already a fan but we didn't live in new york yet it was probably like 2003 or four when he was and and i remember just being in the car or or, we were uh going from like uh, matt blanchard's house to uh, the, the mall to go pick up something for our recording session and matt blanchard explained to us that Biondo was touring with Ballas and Chris Fadalaro, who we also knew from Jersey Band. And I realized that two people that I knew were in this band that I really liked who were playing Fela's music, which was, like, kind of a crazy thing because there were no other bands doing that. So that was definitely, like, an amazing thing to realize that there's any kind of connection. And then, you know, fast forward, yeah, it's, it's funny how, you know, <laughs> that happens in six or seven years later. And I saw the band probably 50 times before I ever played in the band, you know? I used to go see them every chance I got,
0: so. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, was there a moment, I mean, when you see that your buddies are, or you know people that are like, you know, kind of maybe equal kind of setting, footing as you in the industry, maybe, did you ever think like, oh, maybe someday I could play, I mean, was that something that even entertained your thought? It cloud no, I don't think so was, was a, it, it wasn't like, know, like a, I don't
2: think so not at the time no, it wasn't like w- it not. wasn't
0: like a wake up to like oh shit I know this guy and he's playing with this band that I really like oh shit maybe someday you know okay. not then no I
2: was we were still like
0: not we didn't even live in
2: New York City yet yeah so I can't say that
0: can you talk a little bit about Afrobeat maybe for for people like me or anybody if you had to describe Afrobeat you're saying, "Oh, you know, Aunt Peggy. I, you know, my buddy plays in this band, Annaballs. So they play Afrobeat. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Explain it to me."
2: Yeah, like the, the way. I mean, it's funny because that now, after after having the conversation with so many different people so many times I, I kind of realized that there's a couple different levels to that description depending on how deep you want to get and how much people
0: know about all this stuff and so like you let's know, go for dummies the, let's let's go a little bit for dummies
1: for the sake of the tiger Trip podcast
0: well you know
2: if you listened it, you know it's got uh, all of these elements of you know james brown's music and uh and, and, like, American music of the 60s and 70s, funk music, slime and the Family Stone, things like that. But then, obviously, Fela was Nigerian and grew up, you know, in Nigeria. So he, his, the music of his, you know, childhood and his life and, and the music of West Africa is mixed with, like, punk music and then jazz. And so you, you hear like when you listen to the guitar parts, they sound like James Brown guitar parts, right? And when you listen to the horns section, it, it, you know, it's it's very often, there's very interesting harmonies, but but there's also just, it's just as often where you might hear the horn section playing, you know, 10 horns at a time, all in unison, or just a or very single, singular harmony, just like fifths or something like that. And the, and the drumming style, definitely coming from the jazz school, but, also with this whole bed of percussion around it that makes it so the drums can be free. And then the, you know, the, the clave and the sticks and the shakeray and the congas kind of keep the bed underneath it. It's just this amazing lattice work of, of, you know, usually 10 to 12 to 15 instruments or something around there. So, you know, that's a pretty, I said for dummies, but that wasn't for I guess. <laughs>
0: I was always surprised to hear that it's way less improvised than it maybe sounds to just like the, the average listener that goes and sees it just looks like a bunch of people are jamming and soloing and and all sorts of shit. But then it's like, you know, I hear later, it's like, no, a lot of that is like all built in and it's, I guess structured, I guess. you know, structured more structured even more so yeah. than like a jazz band. Like it's like has to be because all the instruments have to do the same things, or is that am I wrong? Am I wrong I about that?
2: You can really, you know, it, it, I would say circumstance by circumstance, song by song. Okay. I would. I can I don't know if I could generalize and say like yes or no on either of those things, because sometimes it. Sometimes it's exactly what you just said, but yeah, sometimes it's improvisatory. I mean when failure would have shows like they would play for like six hours or seven hours. If you're gonna play for seven hours, there's gonna be a lot of improvement.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I'm I guess my you know what you know what it is? You know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of like maybe sometimes your even your parts and stuff where it would be like Yeah, okay, one guy gets to improvise for a while, but the rest of us have to fucking play this same thing over and over and over for it to work. Right, mm-hmm. and is that right? Yeah.
2: Um, the, what What What's interesting is that when every like when it's when 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 a band is playing really well together, if everybody like if you have this kind of construct like you described, where everybody's kind of beholden to play a kind of stick within some kind of pattern. When you stick to it, if you get really good at it, the like kind of the magic that happens is in how everybody breathes up and down with it and like kind of gets bigger and smaller and expands and contracts within doing the same thing without necessarily changing the tempo like changing the volume up and down and then changing the intensity and then changing kind of like the flexibility of how everything sounds together and if something is gonna go on for a long time you know sometimes you set it up for a very long time and it doesn't necessarily grow or change too much but then all of a sudden, the dynamics of the soloist might bring the dynamics of the soloist and the and the, the drummer, who is usually the person conducting the, the group. <laughs> when those two things kind of light up, all of a sudden everyone gets a little louder, and then the drummer might crack the snare as a signal, like "All right, everyone, cool your drop out. Like we're taking it back down. We got to build it back up in that in that way, mm-hmm. and um, you know. You don't want to blow it too soon. That whole thing. So the idea being that, like, <laughs> sure, it seemed really simplistic in one sense, but like, actually, when you, the more you do it, the more you realize the the discipline factor is that's only like on the surface. Oh, we're playing the same thing over and over and over again. Like, actually, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Like, like a like a chant or something,
0: you know. It feels like the type of music that, like. Um like if everybody had just heard it when it was coming out, it would have been massively popular. But for whatever reason, because maybe it was just well, no, it
2: was. I mean, he was the biggest star in in, in the continent. It's just that we didn't live in that globalized of a world back then. You know, we didn't. We no, we didn't know any of the stars in Africa back then. Yeah,
0: basically. Yeah. So like, now as soon as that did, as soon as some more globalization and world music and things became more uh, open and available to the rest of the world. You know, people were like, oh, shit, this is the hot shit. I'm going to make a band like that. And that's basically what Anabolus is, right? It's like kind of a a reincarnation of that sort of thing. Well,
2: yeah, and and to Martine's credit, the the guy who founded the band, our, our baritone sax player, Martine, basically, he was a fan of Fela. And then Fela died in 97, and Martin was like, okay, well, there's no Afro, but like, we should start a band that's like this because there's no bands like this. And that's how that's why he started the band. He also had some other influences too, but he was, I mean, Fela just passed on in 97, and Martin was like, we should do that. And by the next year, they were playing gigs. And so he definitely saw the whole, he was like, no one's doing this. And in New York City, even at that point, I mean, even in New York, I don't, I don't think there was an Afrobeat band in New York before then. I don't think. I, mean, I don't know. I didn't live here back then. But
1: Annie Ballas has been around a long time. But you know, Timmy, you've played with, you've been playing with them for a few years, and you actually worked on their latest record.
2: Yeah, I did the last two of the records.
1: So, what was it like to be a part of that process?
2: Well, it was cool because we got to record at Daptone, and that's like the kind of the you know, spiritual home for. That music right now, the you know the the kind of storied Bushwick studio that Gabe Roth and Sharon Jones and Charles Bradley and the guys from <clears throat> the the Dap Kings and the old Antebellus crew, those guys like basically built that studio about I don't know 16 or 17 years ago. You know what's really incredible there? What's what I love there more than anything is when you look in the control room they don't have a computer. Like, I mean, I think when people, when artists want to use Pro Tools in there, sure, they bring it in. But when we're working in there, there's no computer screen. And what you realize is that the person sitting at the desk is looking through a window at like the, you know, the drummer and like the musicians in the room. They're actually like engaged with the music in a session. They're not looking at a Pro Tools screen or a Logic screen or something because there just is no screen to look at because the music is just getting,
0: do they record Press. tape yeah
2: it, yeah it's just going to the tape right then oh wow and you re- and it's like something about that I mean there's other studios like hive mind is a great studio run by friends and they do this they do the same thing there you can do the same thing um they they've 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 really done great work there too also in bushwick give them a little shout out but I mean dap is up up like I said just a place that I've heard so many records come from and there is just kind of a, a, a magical little thing when you go in that house and go up those creaky steps and into the kitchen and, you know, every, everything's got a thing there, you know, just a little vibe. Hmm. So, yeah, that it was, I'm really happy I got to go in there for some recording sessions, you know.
0: Yeah, and speaking of recording sessions, I want to move on to your uh, Timothy James solo work, which... Mm -hmm. You put out a record a few years ago, the second release of the Tiger Shrimp Records label, Timothy James Wind, Mm -hmm. and um, that music is quite a. I mean, it's not quite a departure, but it's different, Um, and it's such a. You know, where does all that come from? (laughs) What what is you know is that just a collection of all your influences, kind of spurring out? Yeah, it's, you know how like,
2: you know, when you just like make shit, like you
0: can't really help it sometimes.
2: What it's going to turn out like, it just kind of does. And what I've learned over the years is you have to trust that to a certain degree. Like it may not be good when it comes out, but if you just follow whatever the intent is, it'll lead to something. took a long time of collecting those songs and writing them one by one and yeah and 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 not really knowing this is gonna be a band, this is gonna be is there gonna be lyrics for these songs, are there gonna be horn parts and then I realized at some point that it would just be better to just, just do it all myself. Because I was traveling a lot and I was just, you know, recording and whatever uh whatever you know place i could get I mean, basically so just having like a little interface with me and my laptop and stuff
0: so yeah no i remember i mean you've sent me obviously you've sent me demos of all this stuff and i would get so hooked on the like just the earliest version of whatever the song was i'd be like no 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 it's, it's done don't don't do any. don't change this this is perfect the way it is whatever you did however you found this fucking sound I remember, you know, we worked on it in Paris and that was a really fun experience, but I remember you like, <laughs> clearly some of the guitar sounds that you got were just an in the moment. Well, at that exact moment I had this pedal and I had this interface and I had this fucking plugin <laughs> <laughs> and I this really is, this that. is, and I recorded this sound. It was like, oh, we should redo that little part. And I was like, Pfft, there's no fucking chance I'm ever gonna find that exact sound again. Like that was just a, that was just an in the moment thing. And I think that that, like, is a beautiful thing about your music is that it has this very, like, how did he do that kind of a vibe where it's like, you know what I mean? Like, you couldn't even really describe what exactly is going on. Like, it's guitar music, but it's... Yeah, it's
2: it's funny because it's hard to, like, recreate a bunch of those songs because of that. Like, I've only played a few of them in a live setting ever because I realized when I tried to like do some arrangements I was like this is gonna be really tricky to make this sound right and trying it with like not... trying it with like four people when you really kind of needed seven voices to do it I was like, mm, it's just not cutting it so might as well just wait until I got seven someday or just you know what I mean? and so there's a few of the songs that actually work as solo pieces or I was like I played with Ricky once or twice but really, I mean, most of those kind of only live on that record.
0: It has a very, like, I think, a very, like, cinematic vibe to it. Do you listen to cinematic music? Are you influenced? Like, what are your, what are some of your more current influences we talked about you know some of the stuff that you listen to as a boy but like Um, what
2: music that I really respect and really like want to emulate in some ways is like the music of like uh, Steve Reich and Philip Glass and like music like that that like feels like elements of like earth and space moving together like things like that like if you ever would I one record I recently Got reacquainted with was the soundtrack to Koyaanisqatsi. Have you ever seen that? I'm sure you've seen that. That, I that uh, yeah. So the soundtrack to that. In fact, all the all of the music for those trilogy of films was done by Philip Glass. But the first one is like incredible. It's just so good. And it's one of those things where like I remember hearing it as a teenager and thinking, oh, that's amazing. But then listening to it now is is, I mean, it's unbelievable it's so beautiful So, music like that, I'm, I'm always um, And then like, oh, another good person I could like kind of reference that I really like is uh, Gustavo Santaleya Sa- Santalia, I think you say it like that The guy who did like the music for the uh, Motorcycle Diaries Okay And uh, like a lot Broke of Broke Brokeback Mountain, right? In the Inuratu movies, yeah. like, oh. he's one of my favorites. His music is. He also did the like like the Narcos theme on Netflix. Yeah, that really kind of vibed out. Like, you know, like kind of he Latin actually, American yeah. guitar with like really tasteful percussion.
1: I don't think he notates his own music. I think he has to have somebody notate it
2: for him. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. But like, I mean, yeah. clearly he's yeah. like just got. His writing is just right. really yeah, dope. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I don't know why I'm
2: saying that. Cause I know. Uh, Santalia. I, 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 I I'm pro- I probably am, like, mispronouncing his name, which is stupid. I should have looked it up before I said it on a podcast. <laughs> we, uh, but, like, I, we'll, you can
0: find it easily, so whatever. We'll we'll look up the how to record it. You can send me the isolated way to say it, and then I'll just pop it in every time and you, you say it. it I'll pop it in. Yeah. It'll um,
1: sound slightly different, but it'll... Just-
0: we've never talked about the Steve Reich vibe, but I definitely hear it in some of really, it's when I think of some of your songs right now, the kind of like uh, the the repetition that like builds this, where it's like you repeat a phrase, but just maybe the next time you play it, it's like a millisecond longer or, or short. You know what I mean? Like he does those weird fucking loops that like, I don't know, I remember listening to that shit in college where it would be like these, you know after 10 minutes of listening to this like same sound it like sounds like a completely different thing I hadn't thought about that being in your music but now that I'm thinking of it like yeah there is some weird shit like that going on in your tunes
2: yeah what I what I find I like very much is the element of like repetition right and then as the repetition goes on um Certain consonant intervals will reveal themselves to be uh, more dissonant intervals, or more like soft intervals. Like if, an, if if a pattern starts with fourths or fifths repeating over and over and over again, eventually either a sixth or a third will probably kind of almost like bloom out of this initial um, this initial harmony. And then you will have this chord or some kind of group, some triad, some group of three notes that will kind of produce some kind of emotional, you know, it's almost like when you watch like a plant in like stop motion, like, like you know, bloom in the morning and then like go at night, you know, like fold up at night. That style of music just kind of reveals these things that are like inherent in nature already. <clears throat> that's what, for some reason, that's like a good way I can liken it as the same the same reason people like looking at like you know paintings of nature <laughs> it's like the same reason people like those types of music you know because there's no lyrics in those music you know it's not like the it's not like it has some kind of story to it or some lyrical content that you that everybody can follow you know what i mean it's like the the progression that happens when you have this build it's, it's up to anybody to kind of determine what how that makes them feel you know but for some reason it makes everybody feel something uh, you know that's like the best way to describe it like it doesn't affect everybody the same way
0: i mean you told me that they get 40 new songs and we're very excited to hear some new shit. I know there's a new song that should be out any day uh, that we're, yeah, we're, trying, really holding us we're trying to on put this out. One, huh? try, uh, yeah, oh. there's been... Maybe by the time this posts, I mean, it'll be out. But uh, there is, you have put out some new music this year already, which we'll be playing throughout this. But
2: Yeah, and I have a bunch of stuff that I hope to be by the end of the summer, you know, maybe or maybe by fall. Like, I'm... Um, uh, like the rest of us having slightly more time to focus on my own projects, which is something I'm...
0: And there's there's like a new element to this record, your idea, maybe? You
2: having, have, I'm definitely having more people on it with me. The last one was all me and I, I was like, should I make this my thing? Should I just make all this music myself? But it, it didn't take long for me to be like, you know what, I'm gonna have some drummers on this one. A a good friend of mine the other night just said, kind of reminded me, he was like, no, he's like, we've been struggling against a system designed to kind of (laughs) throw us scraps for our entire careers. Like, just enjoy the, he's like, you don't know how long this period's actually going to go for, you might as well just enjoy it, you know, like. You're trying to be
0: productive. Yeah. You know, figure out a way to find the positive somehow.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: The technology's Uh, there to to do this shit, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's um, definitely the way I'm trying to see it, you know.
0: I still want your songs that you just do yourself as well, though. Just, just so you know, <laughs> <laughs> I like. I was about to say. I was the like, same fuck. I like you don't need, need to get a band. Get a band. Do a record with a band. But I still want those, those Timothy jeans. You know, rich guitar parts. Uh, the only
2: thing that's stopping me is is like uh, the, the fear of like, oh, I'm not. That's not my thing. But maybe it should be my thing. And maybe I'll look back on this podcast in like three years mm-hmm. when I have like. When I'm just doing Ableton, and I don't play with any other musicians anymore. Or
1: even because... if you open up for Annie Ballas, or play a sideshow. You know, when you're sitting on in between gigs in some town, or you know.
2: Well, actually, you know, my my initial idea is to actually ma- marry the marry some kind of musical performance to my friend Chris's fractals. And now that uh, you know, he's got he's got a great website, Mandelics. .com is it .com pj? I think it's .com. It's mandelix though.
0: What is that? Yeah, yeah, what do you mean? I don't, mean? Know, I don't know what the is. hell you're talking it, about.
2: So, so, our friend Chris who builds fractals, built built a fractal website where you can actually access live like animated fractals on your computer. What is a fractal? His, it's a visual representation of a math equation
1: <laughs> that's that's triggered by audio. It's-
2: so the idea is to like, you know, he has it so his his images will react to sound in a completely unique way every time and so you hook a few ipads up and you might have one other person like who can manipulate stuff and you can like turn an entire room into like basically a psychedelic floating orb that will react differently to the music every time gotcha gotcha pretty sounds pretty interesting to me Yeah, like more a little bit cooler than dude
0: playing guitar, you know. You know, it sounds really cool. Topic of the day time. Topic of the day. Tim, Tim, tell us our topic of the day. Board games. Board Uh, games. Yeah. yeah. Board games. Um, This seems like a good time for people to get into board games that's what has been going on with you or what yeah
2: um we've done a bunch of board games where i'm quarantined we have engaged in about six games of scrabble or maybe seven games of scrabble mm-hmm. we have played a full game of monopoly which i don't think i'd actually ever done a full game before this maybe maybe as a kid but we did play full game
0: a full game with it, no cheating is hard to actually happen
2: well, this is a thing I'm not sure if that exists in Monopoly I don't yeah. think that there can be a full unless you literally got a banker who's like objective who's not playing and yeah whose entire role in life is to remain objective and to not let anybody cheat but I don't think it's possible other than that <laughs> people cheat without even knowing they're cheating in Monopoly you know what I mean Like, like how I don't get it. Uh, Well, you know, there's so much money being exchanged that like occasionally you're like, "Oops, I made." You're like, "Oh, I'm just gonna keep it." You know, it just happens. Like, "Oh, did you give Uh, me 500 extra?" Uh, uh, You know, whatever. Like, two hours into it, you're like, "Keep it. It's all good. You need the money anyway."
0: (laughs) Monopoly getting real. Okay, so you played Monopoly. What else is so we did
2: Monopoly? We so we've done we've done we've done a bunch of Scrabble. Did one full Monopoly, um, which is you know it's a pretty severe undertaking. It was it was almost six hours, I think. Wow! And emotional, you know, draining <laughs> for sure. Um, backgammon. Ba- and, and well, backgammon is is kind of like that's my big one. I was going to kind of end with that because oh, uh, that's the one that I'm
0: Fucking most PJ. partial to. <laughs> you got any other ones between before you get to backgammon? you want to discuss you want to jump to back
2: those three are the ones I've been engaging in gotcha Um, I I have uh, so far those three are the ones I've been most active in Mm -hmm. I also I'm really kind of interested I'd love to I'd love to get into that game Go but I think that I don't know if it's it's like first of all you gotta know somebody that's willing to teach you I don't know it takes a long time to get good at it it's Go is like a old Japanese it's like ancient Japanese game and it's it takes m- much longer to play than like, chess or checkers, yeah. Or backgammon, or any of those. Um, it takes like, you know, it can take hours, days to play a game. And it's many pieces. I think uh, I've never actually attempted to play it, but I read a book a long time ago where the main character is like a GO champion. So
0: huh.
2: I've always been fascinated by it. And, the you know, it,
0: <laughs> is it similar to backgammon though? Yeah, it's
2: not it's not it's not like I feel like I the might same know board, but it yeah. is like a, it is like a thing where like you're dealing with pieces and surrounding other your your opponent's pieces and and trying to kind of like somewhere between chess and backgammon, mm-hmm. but like a, but a little bit more intense with a lot more strategy to it because it you essentially are like it's like you're using armies. You're essentially using the go pieces, the go Yeah. The, 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 the white and black go pieces to surround each other and make it so they can't move just like chess mm-hmm. um, I, mean, so I kind
0: of would like to get into that but that's pretty extreme tell us about backgammon because I don't know a ton of people that play that or, and I've always been just kind of intimidated by backgammon um, what well,
2: I'll be the first to tell you
0: this there's no reason to be intimidated <laughs> PJ, are you intimidated by backgammon or do you play backgammon?
1: No, I'm not. Um, but you know, my folks played it, so it's, it's near and dear
2: to my heart. Oh, so I, you're not intimidated at all? No.
0: Are yeah. you intimidated by chess or or anything? I guess... Do you play uh, yeah, chess? I don't do you really know? know
1: how to play No, I don't. I don't like board games. I don't like them. Yeah, PJ's come
0: know. out and said, I told him the, the, the topic of the day, and he was like, I don't like board games. And I was like, well, you're going to have to tell us why, bud.
1: Right, because I just don't. I think it's my ADD. I don't sit still. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Okay, no,
0: it's a, it's a, it's a mental I just, uh, problem with you. I, I think right now, I think it is. <laughs> I think that right, if you were ever going to play, and, a board yeah, game. like fucking try and just be like, because you could. I think you could get into it, even if like, because I, I think, think the thought be- of playing a board game is painful. Like sometimes I'm like. Like my brother and my uh, my brother Joe and his wife Nia, they love board games, and they bring them like when we're having family get-togethers, they'll bring one over, or when mm-hmm. I go to their house, they they're like, "Come on, want to get the board games going?" And I'm like, "Ugh, I'm just like, do you guys want to? I don't want to fucking get into a board game. I'd rather just talk to you guys." Like, and when one <laughs> <Very> gets <spirited. laughs> when one gets laid out, you and then you start doing it, it becomes very fun. But I think the hurdle is just getting it going and getting into it, which is the hard. Just it's I, the yeah, hard yeah. thing. I'm having hmm. a similar thing with puzzles now, where it was like the thought of doing a puzzle sounds awful, but when you start, once you, the pieces are all laid out and you start putting it together, it's kind of fun. But no, I like puzzles. You like you, know, you like puzzles, think, but not I board do. games.
1: Huh? I just think it's just the time. I'm gonna sit down for the next two hours and play a board game like
2: well Pete. here's the thing about monopoly is i gotta tell you only i knew i was like oh this is gonna be like three or four hours it was like six but i gotta tell you there it was like if you're like oh the add is what gets me it's like you don't have one spare moment when you're playing monopoly you are literally doing math and making sure that everyone is being fair the entire time it's like yeah it's actually a stressful game because you're, I mean, there's maybe there's some slow moments, but, like, once it heats up and people are landing on your shit and they're owing you rent and you're like, hold on, hold on, you're making change for people and you need to get change from the banker and it's like all of a sudden somebody else lands on you, you got a hotel, all of a sudden you're bankrupting people, you're making deals with people. <laughs> I had forgotten the whole thing is, like, you make, eventually, people like, well, I'll give you this for this. There's all this stuff that's outside the rules in Monopoly.
0: What is when you win Monopoly? You, is everybody bankrupt and you have everything? Is that the winner?
2: You essentially like yeah. I mean, you own when, the whole when, board. No, it's not that you need to own the whole board. Like you like when the when if there's like two people left and you take the last person's money, it's
0: okay. So if, two, if everybody else is broke, you win.
2: The way I know it, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess you it's, just you got to so.
2: them all. You have like, to become the monopoly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've never, I've never taken it that I, I usually like, you know, I don't even get to fucking hotel, you know, like I don't even remember how it goes. You have like a house and then there's, you
2: need to get four houses on a four houses to yeah, get yeah. a hotel,
0: which yeah. at the
2: beginning of the game, it seems like it's like graduating from medical school. It's like, you're
0: never going to get that far. You no know way. I mean? You're it's never like, going to get a fucking hotel. It's like, not, I don't think I've ever got, I've never gotten that far in a Monopoly game in my life to get a so fucking hotel. So let me tell hotel. you this.
2: I got hotels on Boardwalk and Park Place. And, and the thing is, I'm not a guy that really, not focused on possessions or money in my <laughs> life. The way I felt when I had the fucking hotel on Boardwalk and Park Place, and the way that I felt when, when my friends landed on them, and I was like, bay up. You know Pay like up, I mean? It, motherfucker. Was a, it was an amazing feeling to bankrupt my friends. Like yeah. I don't consider. I'm like, oh, that's evil. You know, it's like once I was playing, I was like, oh. and and the thing is, everyone told me I was crazy to spend all my money at the beginning to get the hotel. They're like, you're gonna go bankrupt, and I'm like, watch this, <laughs> and that's what made me win.
0: But did you did you just uh, randomly aggressive. land on Park Place and Boardwalk? I
2: got lucky I was able to buy them at the beginning.
0: Okay. You just bought them and hold on. And that's.
2: I literally spent like all of my bank on those two. And it was seemed like a bad idea for like three hours until one. And then it was like in 10 minutes I collected.
0: Yeah. People land on that shit. You are back. You are back up.
2: And it's amazing because it's kind of like in real life. It's like right next to it. The rent is like six dollars. But if you have a hotel on Park Place, it's like $2,000. So if it was just one, one you know, roll different, like just a four instead of a three, the rent would be six. But instead yeah. it was 2000 So you really can take somebody out really quick.
0: Yeah. And what is... uh? Walk me through Backgammon a little bit. I don't know shit about it. Why it's is it... It's
2: like the oldest board game on earth, which is, you know, they've been playing It's like it. some
0: caveman shit?
2: Yeah, they found they found it in Mesopotamia from like three thousand years ago, and like I think it I think they played in Persia and stuff, and I mean they found they find backgammon boards and like representations of it everywhere because it's very basic
0: that's the reason it's a is it math based like I, I really don't know shit like I don't know anything you roll a well, okay. die two dice yeah you got two, two dice. dice I
2: mean okay let me let me f- full disclosure here I don't play with the doubling cube so if there's any backhand oh. shadows here yeah, I don't play with the doubling
0: cube the but fuck but is a doubling me? cube I don't like
2: Speaking it means, like, if you're gambling, you play with the doubling cube. It's the cube that has, like, a, the exponential numbers on it. It says 64, 32, whatever. Uh, okay. But I don't play with that. I just play the base of the game. Meaning, you have two dice, and then you have... Everyone has 15 pieces, I think. And essentially, like, if you look at a board, you can picture it. It's, like, rectangular, and mm-hmm. there are these triangles. And each triangle is a base, right? Sure. So if I roll a 3 and a 4... You gotta move three moves and four moves. Three paces, or and seven, or I'm sorry, three and four, or a combination of seven. It's that simple. Move what? You, um, the pieces, the backgammon pieces.
0: How yeah. many of them? All of them? One of them?
2: Okay. So the goal of the the goal of the game is to get <laughs> all of the pieces from your spot all the way to the other spot, like all the way to the end. Okay. So the other person's goal is to get all their stuff to your end. Okay. Huh. And so it always starts kind of similarly. And there's, an, there's like a tone that gets set by the very first move. And then some people play very aggressively. Some people play very conservatively. Um, it's one of these really interesting. The reason I like it is because it's something about this game. Uh, when I play it with people, I really like it and they get into it it's like this type of thing where you like you might play like 20 games in a row or 30 games in a row like if you're gonna if it's like a beautiful summer day you guys are at the beach or something you're having a couple drinks and like enjoying the sun you might play like 30 games in a row for 4 hours right if you do that I might win 10 in a row I'll just be on a hot streak and it's like I'm rolling good I'm on fire and then all of a sudden like the tide might shift and all of a sudden then I lose like 7 in a row and then I'll win, like, five. You know, it's like, it's just this very up-and-down thing. That's is <laughs> Clearly, if you play with somebody that's not as good as you or doesn't understand it, you'll be able to beat them, right? But if you play with somebody that you're kind of matched with, it's really interesting because it does go up-and-down.
0: Like You're never going to be the clear-cut champ. You're going to lose sometimes. You're going to win sometimes. It's a roll of the dice. If
2: you're evenly matched. It's a roll it's of the like, dice.
0: It's fun. Yeah, it's really fun.
1: We play a lot of Trouble in my house.
0: Oh, you guys play Trouble?
1: You remember that one? That's uh, got the, the little popper thing, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I don't remember. I, I remember the popper thing, but I don't remember what the fuck happens in trouble. I remember mm-hmm. sorry?
1: I remember the. You basically got to get around the board and get you know get lined up. Then PJ, did you play? You try to fuck each other over. Did you play shoots
0: possible. and ladders or Candyland as a boy? No. No. You didn't even play games as a child.
1: I remember the game uh, Blizzard of 77. What the fuck?
0: <laughs> did you play you, you Blizzard of 77? That's some, that's some, poor poor game some, game some fucking agree. buffalo <laughs> shit. Game. Jesus Christ. That is some, buffalo that right is some nice buffalo yeah. shit. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look that up, get that on eBay.
2: I'll this buy that for, for my real, brother. Yeah. He would like that one.
0: Um, did you guys yeah, did you play? Christmas present. What about Hungry, Hungry Hippos?
2: Sure. Is that a board game? It's I a board. Say this. I yeah, mean, I would classify that as a board game.
0: I guess that's more of a tabletop game where you get into some fishy, yeah, like some fishy business. Of, once you're uh, getting physical with it and like smashing, like sm- slamming on a little thing. Maybe that's not a board game, but
2: Operation. That's kind of a good one.
0: Operation. Is that a board game? Uh-huh. Or is that yeah? The yeah. one where you like got to take oh, the guys' yeah. bones out and if you no, I know It's, it's fucking it's horrible that game. <laughs> That's, the game is fucking terrible i remember a game called crossfire with these little yeah. flicky fucking things that are like spinning sure. balls and shit that's a tight game
2: yeah crossfire was good uh i played trivial pursuit recently and i realized that um if i play a certain era of trivial pursuit i will crush it and
1: yeah, that, i like that game that's a game i like i like
0: that. trivia games yeah that's are we calling those yeah. board... I guess Trivial Pursuit is a board game because you move around, right? Yeah, it's you very try to win. It ha- you, know, you But it's to get basically... You have to the pies and shit. But it's a trivia
2: game. It's just like... Yeah, I guess so, yeah. It is a trivia
0: game. It's a, it's a nice uh, hybrid of, of trivia and, and board. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: Another game I saw recently when I was in Vancouver, it was called The Ultimate Game of Survival. And it was a board game that looked like it was from like, the 70s or something had this yellow cover and it had all of these survival situations and pictures of like you know a guy like fighting off a bear and then another guy like crawling out of quicksand and then another guy like like lost at sea with like one plank of wood and he's just like holding on to that and it was a trivial pursuit style game where <laughs> basically you had to answer questions about staying alive <laughs> in in these crazy situations yeah, so, like,
1: that sounds like fun. Yeah, maybe that that could be the picture for the Tiger Shrimp podcast volume two.
2: Actually, sure, I could find that for you. I yeah, send
0: up. send that over. I'll you'll be able to swipe to the right to see the, the game of survival. I just want to mention Clue really quick. You, guys, I mean, PJ, did you play Clue? Probably should have talked about
2: Clue.
1: Yeah, Clue was a uh, mystery game. What
2: was that one? Colonel Mustard
1: oh, in the Library was bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, feel nah, like man. I feel like you would have liked
0: Clue. Like the movie yeah, clue fucking Tim tight. Tim Curry, man. Tim Curry. There was a clue there was a clue like <laughs> VHS board game that like you fucking pop the tape in when like
1: Yeah, I remember you that. You remember that? We had that.
0: That's a tight fucking yeah. game. That's a good game. Clue I don't know. Six-year-old right. probably too I'm young. I'm gonna
1: start with my with my brood. We'll do Clue. I don't know if six this week. six
0: might be fucking too young for Clue. Maybe she could be like on your, Jess's team or your team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like do a three-way. Okay. Cl- I, I don't know how many people you need to do Clue. Maybe need more than three. All right, Tim. So another thing uh, we like to do, or I like to to hear about, is shit that you have been like digging recently. Like um, any kind of art, music, movies, TV shows, books. If, okay. you have, if you have anything in the, um, on the list that you like um, and want to promote and tell people about um, we're always down to hear that
2: I just heard this record Alabaster Duplume I think it's a guy a sax player Alabaster Duplume that was like a nice record Shabaka Hutchins is another person I would recommend checking out he's like a ridiculously incredible tenor player from London mm-hmm. who uh, really enjoy his music And he turned me onto that Alabaster De Plume record, which is just a really mellow, sweet kind of like, you can put it on it. It's like one of those rare, it's like, put it this way. I love the saxophone, but normally I don't put saxophone albums on to chill out and I would listen to this record as a record to chill out. It's like one of those rarities. Uh, I also like Los Piranhas, a band from uh, Bogota that. I learned about when I went over there a couple, two years ago, and I love them. They're like one of my favorite. Los what? Uh, piranhas, like uh, like piranhas. This is much less obscure, is uh, the Brazilian guitarist Baden-Powell. I spent quite a bit of time at the beginning of quarantine working on some Baden-Powell music. And I'm like, oh, oh you know what I can also recommend? This is a little bit more, less specific is the app called radio with five O's at the end. I listen to radio all the time. It's like my favorite current listening platform. I don't even really use Spotify. I just use radio for the most part. And you can't pick specific things. It's just like you pick a country and you pick an era and you pick, do you want it to be fast or slow? And then it just feeds you music and it's really awesome selections. Yeah, it's really
0: great. Oh Rad- radio God. with five O's, okay. We will make a. We will put a link to all this stuff in the show notes so people can track this shit down. Uh, this is a great time, Tim, talking to you, catching up. Um, we got new music coming out from Timothy James on Tiger Shrimp Records. Already, it's already happened, or it's happening very, very soon. Um, and so you might be hearing a n- brand new song right now as I'm speaking. Um, at the very least, you'll be hearing a somewhat new song. Something. You'll be hearing something. You'll be hearing something. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Tim will send me another one of these nice demos. He sent me a great demo the other day of something that's going to be coming off the next record, which uh, we're all very excited about. It sounded fucking rad, and it, it had drums on it. And it was cool. And it was like, oh shit, this is Timothy James like 2.0 shit. It sounded fucking sweet. So. Um, So, guys, we can hit stop now. (laughs) Okay. Love yous.
1: Uh, I'm going to press stop.
0: All right. That will do it for episode two of the Tiger Shrimp Podcast. Um, You've been listening to music by our guest, Timothy James. A lot of stuff from his album, Wind, which you can check out on all the platforms. You can buy a vinyl record at TigerShrimpRecords.com. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next week. This is fun. Take care.